1: Hey, hey, hey. What's cracking? And welcome back to another episode of Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. I'm your host, Darren McDuffie, and tonight we have another great show for you. It is Erasing Autism, the Spectrum Balance Protocol with Dr. Shauna Young. She's actually the first guest that's actually been back on. She was on before, and she's The first guest to come back on the show so that's a that's a first before we get her on just a few announcements to make if you haven't been following my blog please do show at I'm the I did a blog post I hadn't written anything in a while but decided to write something on antibacterial essential oils and I share a little bit of my experience coming from the pharmaceutical industry where my primary product line in that during that time when I was in the industry for about two years was antibiotics so i know a little bit about antibiotics i know a lot has changed but then even though some things change a lot of that stuff still stays the same so i share with you a really good story about calling on a doctor in south carolina a little small town two traffic lights if that and uh his experience with telling me about antibiotics and this is before i knew anything and got into wellness i was green so to speak and I just tell you about my experience and then talk to you a little bit about using uh, antibacterial essential oils. So when you get a chance, go to I'm dot com and check that out. All right. So. What did I do? I just want to share with you what I did. I did I did something out of the ordinary that I don't normally do, and that is going to the movies. I went to see Ant-Man last night. Really enjoyed the movie. I would recommend, if you have not seen it, to go and see it. If you're a big superhero uh, fan like I am, obviously my name is Fat Man, so I'm a big superhero fan. So, um Out of all the Marvel movies, I would say that this one is probably the one I most enjoyed, and um, I've seen them all, but this one is is pretty good. So if you haven't seen it, go see that. So let's get into the show. I'm really excited about this show because Dr. Shauna kind of shares the same philosophy that I have. She kind of tells it like it is, and if you don't like it, then, you know, tough stuff. But, um, again, she's the first person that's been back on the show, so I, instead of asking her about her background, I'm going to read her bio and let's just see if I can read on the air here. Dr. Shawna Young, certified traditional naturopath and PhD, is the owner of owner and medical director of the Assertive, Assertive Wellness Research Center of Durango, Colorado, which first opened its doors in 2001. To date, her center has has seen thousands of clients from every U.S. state and several foreign countries. In 2005, after four years of clinical observations and experience, Shauna began specific research regarding her theorized negative effects of the excess and stored manganese on the human neurological and sensory input systems and its possible symptomatic connections to autism and other neurological learning and behavioral disorders in both children and adults. So let's get Dr. Shauna on. Dr. Shauna. Welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio again. How are you tonight?
2: Thanks. Good to be back, Darren. Thanks a lot for having me.
1: Good, good. I'm I'm so glad that I was able to read on the air because usually when I get on the air, I can't read <laughs> nor think. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm so happy to be able to read and think at this point. But um, you've already done your bio, and I wrote, read your bio, so I'm just going to hop right in to uh, talking about your, your latest book, Erasing Autism, The Spectrum Balance Protocol. I think you talked about a little bit about this. You kind of shed a little bit of light on it in your last book. But how did you come to discover this whole thing about manganese?
2: Well it it was I did put it there is a chapter in my first book that was called the Popeye protocol which is originally what we called it um just mm-hmm. kind of as a joke in the office but um what happened was is that somebody uh, just brought in their child who had digestive issues, eczema, allergies, uh, you know, bordering on asthma, you know, that kind of stuff that a lot of the, you know, the kids see. And then just sort of as a side note, you know, she said that he was autistic because she did not bring him in to me because he was autistic. You know, that was just you know, she was bringing me in to, for his medical issues. But um, he was very, he was nonverbal. Um, he was very, very uh, wild. You know, a lot of kids are and a lot of kids aren't. You know, it's its very specific to the child, but he happened to be one of the wild ones. And um, he was, you know, it was very difficult. His mom was trying to be disciplinary with him and everything, but it was, it was pretty crazy. Um, so when I was working with him, she was giving me all the symptoms that he had, and it just everything just pointed towards low iron. You know that was just kind of all the the, the symptomology that he had. So I was working with my uh, computer system that I have at the time. It's called Skio. And I was doing uh, what we call the bio-baseline assessment uh, on him, and the word manganese kept popping up. And it's, it's not unusual for things to do that. You know, when I'm running the test, sometimes it will come up with a, a vitamin or a mineral or an amino or, you know, something and, 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 you know, just sort of mentioning it. But the word, I'd never really seen that before, and it just kept coming up and coming up. And so I actually wrote down the word manganese in a question mark on the um, Uh, you know, on the corner of his sheet, you know, that I had. And it's so funny, I've looked back at that. There's actually, I have that in the book, you know, so that people can see that. But I've looked at that so many times because that one little word in the question mark has taken me down such a rabbit hole, you know, of, uh,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: of, uh, you know, 10 years of of research now. Um, But I noticed, see, iron and manganese use the same receptor sites in your brain, and they have to share them. So if your iron is low, then there's a very good chance that your manganese might be high because it, it will. It is one of the minerals that will cross the blood-brain barrier and that will transfer if you know if the receptor sites are low. So I looked and it kind of looked like his manganese might be high. So I thought, well, you know, I I didn't really think that much about it. I'd never really seen that before. So later that night, after they'd left, it was kind of intriguing me, and I started looking for manganese. And I came across a study um, uh, that was written up. In fact, you can still find it. It's a really good paper. It's called Manganese Madness. And it's by the uh, Weston A. Price Foundation, and they were talking about some of the effects of high manganese on the neurological system. And when I read that, then that sounded right, you know, because his mm-hmm. sensory input was extremely high. He he couldn't go anywhere near the window of my office without his eyes tearing. Um, you know, the little ding that the you know the door makes when it opens was bothering him, and all it's it, all of his sensory input just seemed very very high. So. I looked at this, and I thought, well, maybe if I just, maybe if I added some iron to his diet, you know, it's hard to supplement iron, and particularly with children, because a lot of times it causes really pretty severe constipation, so you have to be pretty careful. So I thought, well, I'll just add some iron foods, you know, so I just kind of ran down the list in my head of different iron foods. And I called his mom, and I said, you know, maybe if we added a little bit of iron, you know, it might help with, with all of that sensory input that he's got, because he was sniffing everything like a little puppy and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So she was intrigued, and she thought, yeah, that would be okay. And I said, you know, I've never done this before, so I said, would you keep me in the loop and tell me what happened? She said yes. So she called me, gosh, 10 days later, and I was talking to her, and she said that his sensory input was going way down um that his sensitivity to light sound and you know was really good and that he wasn't sniffing his food and you know all these things but i could tell that she sounded very excited you know there was something she was holding something back and finally i said hey what you know i could tell what's going on you know what do you want to tell me so badly and she said well he started to talk Hmm. and he was completely nonverbal." and i said well what did he say? You know, thinking maybe mama or, you know, something simple. He was eating a spinach salad, actually. He was eating it with his hands and he was humming and he was really enjoying it. And his mom said, boy, you're really loving that salad, aren't you? And he says, yeah, I eat it all up. Said a whole sentence.
1: Yeah, I remember that from the um, the first book. And yeah. um Actually, when I first started reading your book, I remember, um, and I heard manganese, and you just mentioned the blood-brain barrier. I actually just did a video on YouTube about that, and I remember when I f- started reading that first chapter in the book, and you mentioned manganese, I was like, it, it has a crossover the blood-brain barrier, and I remember googling manganese, and there was, a, sure enough, there was a. A PubMed article that popped up how manganese, which aluminum, which I already knew crossed over the blood-brain barrier. And then I started to dig, just like you, I just started to dig a little bit deeper and yeah. found out there were other substances that all crossed the blood-brain barrier as well. But um, going back to what you said, how that was actually diagnosed, there's a process that I do, um, someone that I see here in Florida when I'm using supplements called like um, Biomeridian where they test energy meridians to see, you know, the energy meridians correspond to different parts of your body. And she does the testing for me and tells me what kind of supplements I need, if I need any. But is that Mm -hmm. the same way that you would do a child when they comes in to to find out, or is it a different process to to find out if they have high energy? I don't do anything
2: anymore. Okay. when it, when originally when i when I first noticed it, and then the first year you know that I started really noticing it and all of that, then I was using my my testing procedure that I, you know the 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 skill that I was using, but I don't use that to test that at all anymore to mm-hmm. me, it doesn't even matter because what we're talking about here number one it's difficult to test sensitivity, you know it's like you can you can do a blood test or a hair analysis or whatever, and it might say. You know, I've had people that brought in tests, and the tests said that the kids' manganese was off the charts. I've also had people bring in tests who said their manganese was fine. I've even seen people have tests that say manganese was low, and yet when we did this, this diet, this protocol with them, with the high iron and eliminating the manganese, we still had the results that we wanted. So mm-hmm. being that it's a completely non-toxic po- protocol, that it's just food, I just tell people to just do it. You know, and to not, I don't even worry about the testing. And I think that that's one of the problems that I've had with the medical industry is because they love tests. You know, they love to get in there and, you know, test and see how this is. But the tests with manganese are not particularly reliable. (laughs) So I would rather just give the kid the food, see how they do, and then, you know, go from there. Yeah.
1: And going back to that, it's like the whole biochemical individuality thing where everybody is different. And going back to those tests where you might see no manganese, high manganese, but everybody's different, right?
2: Well, what I make, what I kind of talk about is like peanuts, you know, because some people, you know, they can shovel peanuts down for an entire baseball game and nothing happens, and other people sit next to a peanut and they, you know, wind up in the hospital. So it, it's not necessarily the, how much peanut is in your system. It's what is your sensitivity to it. And mm-hmm. and it's like that with with almost any substance. You know, it's not just what, you know, like people, gluten. You know, all kinds of things. It's not just how much is there. And all a test is is showing you is what's there. It's not showing what the sensitivity to it is, and that's the
1: important part. Yeah, and you had a specific name for this. It's called Menifee syndrome. Is what you call it?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. The uh, Mn is manganese and Fe is iron.
1: So yeah, that's what we can. There's a football player. I think his name is Kurt Menifee. <laughs> when oh. I saw that, I was like, <laughs> it just reminded me of the football player. And I think he's a broadcaster. And then football season is actually um, coming up, so that just reminded me of uh, of him. How do we oh, get this excess XX, manganese, or how do these children get this excess manganese?
2: Well, that's There's a million ways to get that. Um, You know, there are a lot of environmental sources of manganese. You know, for instance, when they unleaded gasoline and they took the lead out of gas, they put manganese in. So if you're living in an area with, you know, high air pollution and that kind of stuff, then you've got a lot of manganese in your air. Um, California, for example, just found an enormous amount of manganese in their groundwater um, from, you know, air pollution and from various, you know, toxicity sources. Um, baby foods uh, are loaded with manganese, Um you know, any kind of the teething biscuits and a lot of foods that are specifically targeted towards babies. Um, Soy baby formulas are 500 times higher in manganese than breast milk. Um, You know, there's, if you look at uh, I ordered uh, several of the top names of prenatal vitamins, you know, the very highest ones of prenatal vitamins, and they're supposed to be the best ones, and they're absolutely loaded with manganese. So if, you know, I'm looking at a prenatal here in, in my hand, and it's got 450 percent, or no, excuse me, 300 percent of a daily dosage for 150-pound person. So if mom is getting a 300% daily dosage, manganese will concentrate in the umbilical cord, which means that the baby, which is, you know, the size of a sea monkey, is getting a a 450% value of the manganese. Mm -hmm. Mm So sometimes it's even in vitro. Yeah. But what, what we thought originally when we originally were looking at this and, and thinking the high manganese, we were just looking just at manganese, and we were completely shocked at how many foods are very, very high in manganese, how many supplements are and, and children's vitamins and things are very high in manganese, soy formulas, um, like I said, environmental toxicity. But then we really found the missing link, uh, which is grains, um, any kind of grain, Um, you know, wheat or anything like that, it has an anti-nutrient in it, which is called phytates. Mm -hmm. And what the phytates do is when you eat a phytate, it will actually chelate or completely just clear out uh, all kinds of minerals, Uh, magnesium, you know, copper, for my purposes, iron. So if you're starting your day with a bowl of cereal or toast or something that has grains in it, then the iron that you eat for the rest of the day... Is erased from your body it's it's completely eliminated from your body and so if that leads the iron receptor sites open which leaves them open for business for the manganese so we really really found that one of the just the biggest culprit is probably the phytate the grains and that's why the the spectrum balance protocol is a, a completely grain and legume free diet now i was doing this and this was about the same time that paleo was starting to make its big you know uh come you know and and so my um my sister-in-law actually said oh you know this is a paleo diet and i said oh all right <laughs> you know what does that means
1: <laughs> you didn't know what paleo was <laughs> you know, I, I had no
2: clue <laughs> but um but both of us uh, were saying at the same time that eliminating the phytate out of your diet you know was going to give you a lot of health benefit we just didn't know how much um you know, it's, it, as far as the iron chelation and things like that, that that's enormous, and that's like I said, with the it, that gives the manganese too much opportunity to take those open receptor sites.
1: Yeah, it gives it a, a very good opportunity to um, to do that. Now, I, I have a weird question for you because when I was reading the book, this came to me, and mm-hmm. you said that adults can suffer from this whole uh, manganese iron imbalance. Correct? Oh yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I used to watch this show and I remember that they had these people doing all kind of weird things. And there was one woman that was eating dryer sheets yeah. and, and I, it just, I don't know why that popped into my head. I was like, well, maybe she has some kind of, you know, imbalance in her brain that would cause her to do something like that or cause her to have this weird behavior. It's just a weird question, but I don't know if there's anything uh, founded with that, but it just seems like, that whole the explaining of the, the balance and the manganese and iron balance might have something to do with why, you know, such weird behavior. But in adults you you did work with an adult who'd had this kind of imbalance. Where they oh, still I've worked having
2: with a, hundreds of adults, yeah. That's yeah, yeah and
1: do they still have the same sensory um the sensory um deprivation that's going on with which you see with with kids with the whole thing with the um, it's a sensory
2: pant- overload actually yeah okay. not a dep- it's it's actually an overload but yes they do but they handle it differently you know an adult who's who's having the same symptoms as a child is having, you know, they they are having nightmares and they, they put that off to stress. You know, well, you know, I'm working a lot, you know, I'm having this. They're having lack of focus, you know, ADD-type symptoms. Well, I've got a lot on my plate. You know, I don't sleep that well. I've I've got family problems. I have bills to pay. You know, and so they, they take those symptoms and they use them differently. The very first person that I ran across, the very first adult um, that I ran across with high manganese um, had very interesting symptoms. Um, he's 47 years old. He's been married to his wife since he was 19. He's been with her since she was 16, and they're gross. You know what I mean? You see these guys together, and you're like, get a room. You know what I mean? <laughs> they're yeah, just, yeah, they're still, you know, very, very, very much involved and in love with each other. So he's is sitting there, and I uh, noticed some. He, what he came in for is he said that he was had borderline high blood pressure, and he was developing head tics. You know, neurological head ticks and so they were worried about him they were looking at him for Parkinson's and various things like that so I looked I noticed his manganese was high so I asked him I said do you feel like you have maybe more sensory input or perhaps paranoia than you would think well the minute I said paranoia you would have thought that I turned a 10,000 watt light you know in his face because he just turned into a real deer in the headlights and I thought well I better you know back off this one for a minute so I just kind of was writing stuff and, you know, concentrating on something else and letting him sort of think about it for a minute. And he said, this this paranoia you're talking about, and he says, can I tell you something and you can tell me if it's related? And I said, okay. He said, I'm driving down Main Street here in town. And he said, and I drove past a real estate office. Now, you have to realize that uh, – Downtown Main Street. There are like 900 real estate offices. I mean, that's pretty much what Main Street is here. So he says I'm driving past a real estate office, and I see what I thought was maybe my wife's car, and it was parked by the real estate office. And he said, by the time I got to the next light, I had my wife is having an affair with the real estate guy, and they were going to have me killed, and my children are going to wind up making tennis shoes in Bangladesh. And you know what I mean? It was like he just he just created this scenario.
0: Right. Instantly,
2: you know, from one block to the next. And then wow. he couldn't get rid of it. You know, he was like calling his wife, and he's like, Where are you? And she goes, I'm at home. What's going on? And he's like, You sure you're at home? She's like, "Uh, Yeah. <laughs> but he, you know, but he just couldn't shake it. And yeah. I've come to call that scenario building. And I think that a lot of people that are listening to this right now probably have the hair go up in the back of their neck because an enormous amount of people do this. Um, I had a woman come in, and she was very shaky and and pale, and I said, what's the matter? And she says, oh, I almost got in a car accident. And I said, oh, no, did somebody come through a light, or, you know, what happened? She goes, no, I just, you know, the person in front of me stopped, and I and I stopped, and I was only, like, a foot from their bumper, and, and you know, if, if I would have hit them, then I would have uh, gotten in an accident, and then I would have lost my car insurance, and then my husband would have divorced me, and then I would have, you know, and she had this, like, You know, 10-year scenario of what would have happened had she gotten in a fender bender.
1: Yeah, that that description that you gave just eerily sounds like an old girlfriend that I have years and years ago. Uh, (laughs) The whole paranoid thing. But um, let's get back into kids. Um, Vegan, vegetarian, Mm -hmm. and the susceptibility of this whole imbalance.
2: You know, I, I hate to step on anybody's toes, you know, when it comes to parenting their child, but it, but I have to just face the facts that a vegan or a vegetarian has got a massively larger chance of doing this. Um, the problem is, lies in the iron. You know, people talk about how much iron there is in certain vegetables and all of that, but it's not heme iron. You know, heme iron is only in animal products, and heme iron is the iron that's really, really absorbable and usable, you know, by your body. And so if you're not consuming heme iron, then y- you really have a much, much higher chance. Um, and I find that in cultures, you know, people know how high the autism rate is in, in America, and, in, and they're appalled, you know, the whole 1 in 68, 1 in 54 boys. Um, and I actually think it's higher than that. But that's that's what people we'll hear. But they don't understand in other countries, some of the countries it's even higher. And in some of the countries where they're more into a vegetarian lifestyle, um, the incidences of the autism are even higher than they are in the United States.
1: Yeah. Uh, if you're out there listening and you want to call in, you have a question, the number is 646 716 9371. 646 716 9371. That leads to a really good segue into my next question, and that's I noticed that there were more boys than girls. Is that mm-hmm. a common thing, that boys are more susceptible to autism than, than girls, and, and why is that?
2: Yeah, That's a really good question. Um, yes, boys are diagnosed more often than girls, um, but I don't know. You know, I would love to be able to say, oh, it's this um but i think that it's difficult uh to say i don't know if there might be a difference uh, in in the blood brain barrier there might be a difference because of hormones there might be all these things if someone would give me a nice big grant i would love to study that but it's just it's one of those things where you know it needs some research and it needs some study but i don't have the wherewithal or the funds you know to be able to do something like that um I also think, though, that in the kids that I've seen, because you got to realize I've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids here, plus there's thousands of people all over the world that have downloaded the protocol that I will never meet, and they call in with questions. And what I have found a predominance of is that boys seem to eat more of junk food type things than the girls do, and that it seems like, and I know this is a generalization, but I'm just saying this is based upon my experience, that girls are more likely to eat what is put in front of them than to throw a fit wanting something else. Um It's not every all the time. I mean, one of the one of the the longest holdout that we ever had. I always tell people just put the good food down in front of the kids, and then wait. You know, because when they get hungry, they will eat. And it's you have to just sometimes let them get hungry. And the longest holdout we had was a five-year-old girl, and she went five days without eating. Five days. Her mom was calling me every day. She still hasn't eaten. She still hasn't eaten, you know, but they held out. And on the sixth morning, they put the breakfast in front of her, and she heaved a big old sigh and ate it. And um, five months later, they were re-diagnosing her. So, you know, it was worth the holdout. But some of the kids will hold out a long time, and some of the kids will throw meltdown fits, and they'll do all these things. But I'm finding that the boys have more of a tendency to be more – forceful about it you know either with a a fit or yelling or doing something you know that they want their junk food or their toaster waffles or whatever it is that their thing is where the girls are somewhat more likely to you know eat healthier food um if it's given to them and so i don't know how much that has to do with it
1: yeah but you have one there i remember one gentleman in the book one kid in the book who said he was going to kill himself if he had to eat eat food (laughs) from the protocol. But then you were yeah. there there was one other uh boy on the other end of the spectrum who said that you know what, I want to do this diet. I really want to want it to make me better and you uh, I remember you saying you sat down with him and he said, "You know what? I want to try this." Uh, and he stuck to it. So you have He did
2: it all by himself. Yeah. His parents did not do it with him and he did it all by himself. He stood up to the school. He stood up to his parents. I tell you, I'm so proud of that kid.
1: Yeah. What about have you had any problems with these (laughs) kids when they, they say, Hey, you know what? I can't eat certain things at school because if I, they put me back in high school now and I said, I don't eat gluten. Now they'd look at me like I was a weirdo, but how are kids going to school and and dealing with these certain things that they can't eat? And I remember from the book where um, there was a situation where the, uh, the kid wouldn't eat cupcakes and all this stuff, and they thought that the kid was weird. They called <laughs> home to his parents. I'm like, what the heck is going on if a kid doesn't they want this called jungle?
2: her mother in because she didn't want to eat cupcakes. I'm like, <laughs> are you kidding me? I mean, she just – now, that kid, I, that – you know, I, I always say I, – I know I'm not – I'm a doctor, and I'm not supposed to have favorites, but, oh, man, that girl. She just – that kid just cracked me up she's also the one that spoke in the british accent for a while which um, was
1: that uh i think oh I my. Was it kate kate was her name or
2: that's well that's what we yeah that's what we called her we changed yeah, all the I kids her her. names yeah. for ease of yeah but yeah. she um oh my gosh she, her parents are um far, are uh ranchers uh here in new mexico or, well down below us in new mexico And um, so she, you know, had good access to food and stuff, so she changed very, very quickly. But she started reading. One of her things, she really wanted to read, and she couldn't concentrate. The words would just not stay still on the page. And so when she got to where she could read, she just read voraciously, and she started reading uh, books about children solving crimes in English country homes, and she spoke with British accent for (laughs) several months, which was just priceless to me. Uh, that but she stood up to the school, and it was her rules. Uh, the school said, you know, they said, don't you want these cookies and, you know, cupcakes and, and uh, what was it, um, you know, the uh, synthetic lemonade and all that kind of stuff. And she said, no, I don't eat that. I mean, and she was very polite. You know, it was, well, she was acting British at the time. Of course she was polite. <laughs> but she was like, you know, uh, no, I don't eat that. So they got all freaked out, called her mom. Her mom freaks out, leaves work, you know, runs down to the school. And the school is like, well, she won't eat cupcakes. And she's like, I, I, okay. You know, I mean, what, what, but what's the problem, you know? And they were like all freaked. And, and the mother said, I'm diabetic. I don't eat cupcakes either. You know, I mean, mm. so am I crazy? I mean, what? You know, they, and, but she just very much stuck to her guns. And if no one was around to pack her lunch in the morning, she did it herself. And she was just one of the kids that really, really stuck to it. Um, You know, what I tried to do in the book, uh, Darren, is I I tried really, really hard because I could have made an entire book just with autism. I could have made an entire book just with ADD. I could have made an entire book just with, you know, whatever. But what I tried to do was to show different symptoms and to show different things that the kids did so that people could actually pick out and say, oh, wow, my kid does that. Is that what's causing that? You know, is it high manganese that's making them have these all these bad dreams or that's making them think that way or that makes them think everybody hates them or, you know, whatever. But the, what I have found about the food, because people are like, oh, my kid's not going to eat like that. The kids are not the problem. It's the parents. Mm. The The kids want generally once they start feeling better, they really want to stick with it. And it's the parents saying, well, this is hard. You know, I have to cook. You know, you can't drive through, you know, somewhere. So it, it we've actually had more resistance from from the parents and, and the school especially than we have from the children. Yeah, but, and, and the kids are amazing. I mean, the kids want to do this, you know. And I've had lots of them, like I said, like the one, he, he did it all himself.
1: Yeah, and one of the things, too, I just wanted to say about the book is that the book is – actually, it kind of put me in, I felt like I was in the uh, the room with you when you were seeing the patients, the way that you write. Um, and even when I got the book, the book was like 300 pages. I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to read a 300 page book? But, but the book actually flows so much. And then when you get to, when you get to the cases, you're actually able to see how these kids came in you tell you give everything how they came in the things that they were experiencing and then you know you do the one month follow-up the two month follow-up and you actually get to see how they were successful using this protocol to help them overcome this uh, manganese imbalance so i would highly recommend the book to anyone out there reading i know uh, most of the time we shy away from anything that's not youtube but you know, if you want to learn, if you want to learn a lot about this, and you have a child that's out there, I would recommend picking up the book. And it's not a it's not a hard read. It's not something that's going to put you to sleep because you write in such a humorous way. So it, it's a good book oh, for people you. out there. Yeah, but um, for me, uh, it
2: was very personal because I know these kids. You know, it was the hardest part of the whole book was culling down. It took me four months to get down to seventy five case studies. And so I actually brought in other people at that point, and I said, look, you guys go through these case studies and try to help me figure this out because I know these kids, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, I can't leave out Carlos, I can't leave out Ben, I can't leave out Sarah, you know, to myself. And so I had to get somebody, I had to get a a third party to come in and actually start looking through those. And to help me get it down to 26 case studies, that was extremely difficult because I remember all these kids' faces and all these kids and all the silly things they did and and how wonderful they were, you know. So that that was was the hard part, actually.
1: Yeah, you did a really good job of that. And um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, a couple of pet peeves I have, and they're yours as well. <laughs> and I could tell by looking. book, and I was just sitting there highlighting as I was reading. One of them is the whole com- complexity and simplicity issue. I think that I've seen this in so many different areas where we take something that's really, really simple, and we make it really complex. And that's to yeah. me, is the whole thing that's around a lot of these diseases. We take something that's very simple and make it complex, and everybody is now making their income off of autism because it's it's one of those things that's really prevalent, so mm-hmm. people are not open to hearing this whole Menifee syndrome thing and something that can be very, very easy what's What's been your experience with that
2: That is unbelievable to me because see i'm I'm one of those people that is just very straightforward. You know, I, I don't want to be sick, I don't want to be tired, I don't want to be anything. And if somebody said, well, you'll feel better if you do this, then I would just do it. You know, I mean, if somebody said, you know, standing on your head two hours a day, you know, help, fantastic, get me a pillow. You know, I'm ready. I want to try it. And I like things to be as easy as humanly possible. And I don't like mystifying things. See, what's going on right now, and that's one of the reasons that I put one of the kids in there. I'm I'm sure you noticed that one of the the children was diagnosed with a chromosome abnormality. Mm -hmm. And this is, they're trying to make autism diagnoses very, very, very uh, complex now, you know, instead of saying your child is autistic or your child is ADD or you know Asperger's, they're like, well, it has this component and that, and then there's an MTHR gene modification and this abnormality in chromosome 15, and you know all uh, you know, or this is from metal or this from this, and. It's like it, it just it unnecessarily you know uh, uh, complicates the whole thing. Mm-hmm. This diet is extremely simple. You know, it's funny. I was talking to um, one of the big paleo uh, cookbook people, Sarah Fergosa the other day, and I said, "Don't you sometimes feel silly when you're writing a quote cookbook and you're saying, you know, eat a piece of meat with a vegetable laying next to it, but you're creating a cookbook, you know?" And and this is what what it is because the protocol is extremely simple. You know, it's meat, vegetables fruits you know it's really really easy and people are wanting to make it harder um we get you know emails all the time from people saying well what if i eat this with this is that going to cause and you're like just eat it you know (laughs) it's just food you know yeah and but this has been the hardest the two hardest things about this whole thing, Darren, and thats it's just its so frustrating to me. One of them is that people do not understand that what I'm talking about here, and that's why I wrote the book, because I want people to understand. When these kids go through the protocol, the vast, vast, vast majority of them are no longer experiencing any symptoms of their autism spectrum disorder at that point. These kids are coming out the other side, a regular 5-year-old or 12-year-old or 2-year-old or whatever they are. I get calls every day from people saying, oh, well, I want you to recommend my autism horseback riding camp or, you know, this therapy that I'm doing, this light or color, or this or that. And I'm like, you don't understand. The kids that I work with don't stay autistic. And they can't get it. They can't understand that. And I talk to parents all the time. I talk to people constantly, and they they, they are not understanding that once they go through this protocol that there's a very high probability that the child will not be experiencing any symptoms at the end of it, you know, or that they'll they'll need catch-up, you know, like you know, sometimes the older kids that are in their, you know, their teens and, and those kinds of things, sometimes they need speech therapy or they need things like that, you know, to get them caught up to everybody else. But mm-hmm. they're not experiencing the symptoms that were causing the problem in the first place, ergo, no symptom, no, you know, without it causing it, then they lose the symptom. That has been really hard. It's been really hard for people to understand that they can just eat, you know, a, a piece of meat. You know, they can have a steak and, and some vegetables or they can have, you know, it, it's very simple. You know, it's, mm-hmm. this is a very easy and, and simple way to eat. And, and there's a lot of people want a lot of complications. They They're used to the revolving things like, oh, you're supposed to eat this food on this day for five days and then you eat like this. This isn't like that. It's like I've, I had somebody. Oh, somebody! I've had tons of people tell me, "Well, my kid only wants to eat three things." I said, "Great, then let him eat those three things until they feel better. And when they start feeling better, and then you can expand their diet."
0: But yeah. we've had kids
2: eat four foods and still recover, you know. But it's and, and also another problem that I run up against too, Darren. And this one is real weird. And I bet you money this is one of your pet peeves mm-hmm. is this whole the the kid is fine the way he is. He's absolutely perfect the way he is. Um, autism speaks has a new campaign out in a picture of a child and it says i wouldn't change you for the world but i will change the world for you and this is this is dangerous because they don't understand what's going on with the kids i was viciously attacked uh... one day um... on a uh, in a social media situation by a woman in germany who was just calling me every name in the book because she has a seven-year-old who's autistic and he's absolutely perfect and, you know, how dare I say that, that, that there, he should be healed or changed or that anything, you know, that there's anything wrong with him whatsoever? And I said, do me a favor, ask him how he feels about it.
0: Mm-hmm. And I said,
2: just, I, I said, he's seven, is he verbal? She says, mm, kind of. And I said, okay, ask him if he could feel differently by eating a different diet, if he would do it. So she said that she would. So she contacted me the next day, and she said when she asked him whether he would eat something different, he said, I would do anything.
1: Yeah, he just wanted to be normal. Because she didn't
2: understand the nightmares, the paranoia, the anxiety. You know, one thing that all kids have in common, Darren, is that they want to grow up. They Mm want to be adults. They want to go to school. They want to have a job. They want to, you know, they want to become adults. And when your only friend is your mom, you know, and when you're nine years old and you're not allowed to flush the toilet because your mom has to come in and check out your bowel movement first, you know. And, you know, we've got these hovering, they call them the helicopter parents, you know, and stuff like that because they're horribly afraid that their kid's going to run out in the street or do something, which is a very real possibility. But these kids, they're miserable. They have no, you know, they don't have any private life. And they they really, really want that. And so I think a lot of people, if they're thinking that their kids are are perfect, that they need to ask them, you know, do you think you're perfect? Are you happy the way you are? Or would you like to try something else?
1: Yeah. I think you touched on that in the book. uh, There's a chapter in there that says parents tend to set the bar too low. Raise the bar. That was the name of the chapter. Yeah, Mm -hmm. raise the bar. And that's what I see with everything. A lot of people accept the whole autoimmune thing. They think that once they yeah. get that, they wear that diagnosis like a trophy. That that was another pet peeve you hit on that. Another one that I believe was at the beginning of the book, and this is coming just from my personal experience when I used to call on doctors, medical doctors in the farm industry, is one of the immediate things that I knew that I, well, that I experienced was the whole ego thing that there were a couple oh. of doctors that I could go in there with anything. I could go in there and say the sky is blue and they would say the sky is red because mm-hmm. they just didn't want anybody to challenge their beliefs. And I always tell people this, that if your doctor isn't really open to hearing what you have to say, you need to switch to, to an, another doctor. And you, uh, there was a some uh, correspondence in the book where you had had um, one uh, a confrontation with a doctor or something like that if if i if I recall correctly,
2: mhm, oh, I've had lots of confrontations with doctors yeah um there's lots of them because they they want i have had confrontations with medical doctors, I've had confrontations with doctors that are supposed to be um uh, natural
0: mm-hmm.
2: um I've spoken to most of the autism specialists in the country. Uh, you know, I, I had one guy who said that he's working with 800 autistic children uh, that heard me speak uh, in New York and then called me, and we talked about it, and he offered me money to not put the protocol out.
0: Are you so, kidding me?
2: Oh, no, and that was just the first. That was just – that happened immediately. That was the, the the very first time that I did a um, public presentation, I was talking to 1500 international doctors and mm-hmm. that was the very first time that I presented this uh, information and that is that is when I got that phone call. Yeah. For- so this has been something that they're not open to. And the, the see, autism, Darren is is a phenomenal gravy train. Um, oh, no. You know, one of the one of the autism organizations recently did a study, and and they said that for every child that is diagnosed by the age of two, that somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty five million dollars will be spent on them during the course of their life you know, with medical and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, if I'm feeding these kids, you know, some meat and some vegetables and, and you know, putting them on a protocol and we're taking them off, that's a lot of money down, the, you know, that's missing there.
1: Yeah. It, it seems you know, that's, like that. That's, It it seems like it's that way with everything, you know, when you look at cancer. Yeah, it's everything, diabetes, everything. It Mm -hmm. it seems like that's the whole thing. And then you have people out there who still, the whole complexity thing, it has to be complex. It can't be anything as simple Mm -hmm. as just changing your diet. And I'll tell you, my personal experience of what really changed my mind is I was, I found a lecture. I don't know how I found it. I found a lecture on, um, Russell Blaylock was doing a lecture and he had some studies. He had some studies where he was. Uh, he quoted some studies that they, I believe, was in Alabama where they they took the most violent of criminals and all they did was yep. change their diet. All they did was yep. change their diet, and these these people were they were they were better. And I was like, wow, this whole nutrition nutrition thing is really really powerful, based upon what you Russell know. Russell
2: is amazing. And and I love his work, but there is also another doctor, his name is Francis Cronella, and I discovered him while I was working with the manganese, because he went specific to manganese. And what he did is he went into juvenile prisons, and he tested the most violent offenders, and he found that 95% of them had high manganese. Wow. And, yeah. And so he yeah. started trying to do studies and research and all of this. So when I came across this when it this manganese, and then I, I thought i'm hunting down Francis Cornella, you know I'm going to find this guy, and I found him, and he was um he's not in the he, he, working as a doctor at all, mm-hmm. and he's actually completely and totally out of the business and i I told him i said look i would really like you know to work with you 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 know I'd really like to work and he said no, he said i'm done, and he said, and I wish you a lot better luck than I had with it
1: that's sad. That's very sad. And I've done some studies on a lot of people and that same thing has happened where you get some really, really bright people who are trying to change the paradigm and they just, they're just shut down and, and booted out of the industry. And it happens more oftentimes than you know. Based upon what you know now, let's say 100 cases came through your door. How many of those cases would you respect this Menifee syndrome to be, be in?
2: You know, that's a hard one because I I have, you know, I, there's two different things. There's the kids that have actually walked through my door, and uh-huh. then there's the people that have come to us through the No Harm Foundation. Now, we've, you know, we've uh, had the down the protocol downloaded in 76 countries, you know, tens of thousands of times. So there's a lot of people that I will never meet and a lot of people that, you know, called in over the phone and a lot of those kinds of things. I What I say to people is don't worry about the probability of where it is and stop worrying about statistics and quit overcomplicating it. Give the kid the food. Start the right. family on the protocol. See what happens because our results happen. You know, you read the book. The results happen very quickly. You know, very often we're seeing I, – I was working with a, a public relations person we're about to do a crowdfunding for – for uh, the No Harm Foundation, and his 18-year-old son, who's autistic and has never responded to anything, is has respond started responding within the first two weeks to the diet, and he yeah. still is still improving. You know, so if a hundred people walk in, I'm going to tell all hundred of them to go on the diet,
0: yeah.
2: and and of the people that have done the protocol that I know of. It has been absolutely astounding. I can't think I, I've been asked this question a lot and I still to this day cannot honestly think of somebody that did that really did the protocol, you know, that really stuck to it and did exactly what they were supposed to do and, and didn't have really wonderful results from it.
1: Yeah, it's it's amazing like how quickly you see the results just from the change in uh in the diet. Whereas, you know, some of these kids were coming in and they were actually doing everything. You know, they've had so many number of tests and all kinds of things, and they weren't really getting um, any uh, better. In 10
2: different specialists and, you know, in a lot of diets, there's a lot of diets out there. There's some gut healing diets out there that are wonderful and when the kids get on them it helps you know they they don't have as much violent behavior you know they they some some of them get more verbal or they get more social or things like that happen but they still remain autistic and i have had children that have come in that have been on these specialized uh, autism diets for 2 years 3 years and within weeks of starting the spectrum balance protocol they're changing even after being on these other diets for years,
1: yeah, it's amazing. Just you know, just changing the food, and um, for someone out there who might be listening, Doctor Shauna, and they've tried everything mm-hmm. because a lot of times we just give up because we feel like we've tried everything. What's the use?
2: Absolutely.
1: Ha- has this worked for that person who's tried everything?
2: That is who I dedicated the book to. Mm-hmm. The actual dedication on my book is I said to, um, to all the amazing families who've traveled across the country and across the world to my office, bringing their children with trust and hope in their hearts, willing to try one more thing. To all those who could not make it to the office but had the wherewithal to take on the Spectrum Balance Protocol themselves at home in the hope of benefiting their children. To the wonderful group of neural developmentalists who recommend this protocol to the kids they work with and in the hopes that it will co- uh, cement their work with them. And to the kind and generous people who have donated their hard-earned funds to the No Harm Foundation in the hopes that it will benefit more children. Hope was in their hearts. Now it's on your plate. That is the dedication of my book.
1: Yeah, because I, I just wanted to ask you that question. I know there's somebody out there who listened or will be listening when they download this iTunes who's thinking, I don't want to try it. I've tried everything, and it may not work. But it's a lot of hope and and people out They're there. They're yeah. tired of hoping. They're tired
2: of hoping. You know, it just—it's too much. You know, you think, oh, okay, this is this is really good, and and I read all these testimonials, and you know, because if you look at some of the supplements that are recommended, you know, it looks like, oh my gosh, you know, you're going to take this and your kid's going to turn into Einstein the next day, you know, and and uh, you know, with the recommendations, and they just keep hoping, and then those that hope just keeps getting dashed, you know, and what I would say to those people is to please, please, please raise that bar, and and try, just please, one more thing. You know, and this is just this one last thing. And what I what I said and Raise the bar in the chapter, and I I want to reiterate it here. No one, when they were pregnant, you know, uh, dreamed of having an autistic child. I mean, you have an autistic child, and you and you deal with it, and the kids are wonderful in their own way. But nobody says, "Gee, I hope I have a, an autistic child." You were hope, you know. And what I'm asking people to do is to go back, close your eyes, and think about. What did you when you were pregnant? You know, when your wife, you and your wife were pregnant and and what did you think about? Did you think about your child maybe becoming a novelist or you know, having did you, did you think about grandchildren or you know, were you picturing their high school graduation or you know, maybe that, you know, what what did you want for them before they were born? And I want people to go back to that and make that their bar. Because the expectation of autism parents has become very, very low. They put a child on a diet hoping that the child will drool less or that they will talk a little more or that they will sleep a little better or that they will become a little more social or something like that. They don't even have the expectation of getting their child back. And I want people to reset that bar. And when you, when you start the diet, don't think of it, you know, I hope that they get a little bit better. Think of it, you know, go back to those hopes and dreams that you had for that child before he even hit the earth.
1: Yeah. And I two more questions for you. One is, is, I forgot to hit on this earlier in the conversation, but I wanted to hit on it now when we, when we were talking about nutrition and you kind of, it was in bold in a lot of your chapters where I can't remember the exact wording of it, but you said that ninety percent adherence to the protocol <laughs> will, will yield 0% zero percent of results. Yeah, explain that to people because that's really powerful. Well this
2: is that we're target we're talking about a very targeted situation here. Okay. Like we said, a lot of people, they have been on various protocols for years and they get it's better but it's not great, okay? Now, if you try to wade in and kind of stick your toe in the water and see how it is and all of that kind of stuff, this will not work. There have been a couple of rare occurrences where it did, but the mass majority it will not. What I keep repeating over and over myself is to say that 90 or sometimes even 99% compliance to the protocol will usually yield 0% results. Okay, so if you're going to do this, do it. Okay. Get you know, read it for it. it, it Noharmfoundation.org. You can get a free download, or you can buy the book, Erasing Autism, and the protocol, of course, is in the book and everything. But you can. What you do is you read it, you understand it, you get all the food out of the house that doesn't belong. And sorry about this, Dad, but you're going to have to get rid of your stash. No cokes, no Snickers bars. <laughs> you know, no anything. When I have a kid going forward and suddenly they go backwards, that just means they found somebody's stash you know, that didn't get out. And so you got to get all that stuff out of the house, get everybody on the diet, get going, put your heart into it, and go for it. Okay? Yeah, and I, that's the way to do it.
1: I think there was a one uh, instance, there was a lot of instances in there where they gave, but I remember the pineapple incident because I didn't even know pineal, <laughs> pineapple had a high level of manganese in it, but there was one incident where they let the child have pineapple, and sure enough, its symptoms came <laughs> roaring back. It could be that the one thing. The pineapple,
2: the pineapple incident is pretty interesting. That was pretty funny. And again, I, that kid was one of my faves. He just was such a little cutie. Um, he's just a little gentleman cowboy and just uh, such a cute kid. But mm-hmm. what happened was, is that he was very, very—he was a real problem. And when they put him on the, you know, temper meltdowns, that they literally had to put him in his room because they were afraid he's going to hurt himself. You know, they couldn't—they couldn't control him. Um, They couldn't take him anywhere. They couldn't even take him to a store. So once he got on the protocol, he did really, really well. You know, everything was great. Um, He became not only wonderfully verbal, he got to the point where he was singing in the choir. He was in a play at school. He sang Christmas carols, you know, at at, uh, Christmas at nursing homes and all this kind of stuff. So he was doing great. So his sister, who's just a little bit older than he is, you know, she's she isn't though. She got um she won a prize and it was a bunch of that candied pineapple. And she didn't really want it so she gave it to him and he ate the entire thing, like a pound of pineapple. <laughs> and he went right back to square one. His mom called me in an absolute panic. Um, they live in Arkansas, and she was just freaking out. And she, you know, she, she said he's in his room. He's screaming. He's out of meltdown. You know, meltdown. He's doing his stuff. He's gone nonverbal. And I said, oh man. And she said, what happened? I said, I don't know. I've never had this happen before. I said, let's let's see how he's doing tomorrow and, and rejudge. So she went in the next morning, and he was sitting on the bed. And she said he was sitting there shaking his head. You know, like a dog trying to get water out of his ears or something and mm-hmm. she said uh are you okay and he said oh man i'm never doing that again
1: <laughs> <laughs> no more pineapple huh?
2: no man he was like <laughs> forget it you know but he he was miserable he he did not feel good at all and he said she the way that he described it she said he sounds like he's saying he has a hangover
1: wow it, it, yeah. it, it amazes me how pineapple can just simple pineapple, something that we think is healthy, can mm-hmm. bring on those those types of types of symptoms. And the Spectrum Balance Protocol actually includes it's three phases to the protocol?
2: Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay, the first one is strict, and I want people to stay very strictly. Now, the way that the protocol is laid out is it's on to you. And if, if they want to see an example of what it looks like, they can go to the No Harm Foundation website and look at it. What it does is it says Best Choices and then the moderates, and then avoids, okay? The best choices create change. The moderates don't stop change. You know, they don't put it back. And the avoids cause backslide. It causes backward progress, okay? So what we try to tell people to do in phase one is to try and make the, make the, uh, the best choices list their shopping list. You know, just try and eat the best choices, you know, try and make the moderates something that you throw into the soup too, you know, as opposed to uh, like a main course. And then phase two is more balancing with the moderates. You know, the the food list becomes much larger because then you're eating the, um, you know, the, the best choices and the moderates in more of an even fashion. And then phase three is really, really close to just being a a regular paleo type diet. You know, where you're mm-hmm. avoiding grains and fumes but you're still you can actually go back to eating pineapple and blueberries and things. It's just that you always have to be careful of it. It it's one of those things, Darren, if you knew that you were sensitive to peanuts or something, then you wouldn't you wouldn't eat them. You know, you would just right. or if you did it would be in extreme moderation. You know, if somebody gives you a cookie you're like, okay, you know. But it's and and you can go back to those uh like i said in the situation with that one little boy he ate a lot of pineapple you know to create that response um yeah. but because he had already balanced now he went right back to being he went right back to being great after that so that proved to me that his iron and manganese was truly balanced because the high manganese which he was sensitive to caused the really extreme symptom but he shook it right off in a day and yeah. went back to being balanced again
1: yeah. And they can get a copy of this protocol on noharmfoundation.org, no Harm is what it is? Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. And it's free. I can't believe and you are book, giving this the, away the for free.
2: Oh, I've been giving it away for free for, for ages. And this, like I said, we've we've downloaded it in tens of thousands of times. The reasons that we did this is because I thought that practitioners were going to jump all over this. I thought I was going to tell people, you know, in the autism societies, I was going to say, here, I have this diet and everybody was going to go, oh, great, you know, and take it and give it to people, and that was going to be it, you know. And we wouldn't have this incredible tsunami of autism that we're currently drowning in. I had no idea there was going to be this amount of resistance to this. And the people just flat don't want to look at it. They won't even read it. You know, I've had uh, people, one of my clients um, went in her son, they wanted to put her son into a mental institution. That's Nick. He's the one that's on the YouTube video. Uh, mm-hmm. If you go to YouTube and put in assertive wellness into the search, you can. it's called Echo Sense, and you can see the, uh, Nick's story. But they wanted to put Nick, like, into like an institution or something. And when he recovered and his mom took the diet to his doctor, the doctor ripped the diet in two and said it was nonsense and didn't even look at it.
1: Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. I, I think I, I had a woman that I – interviewed she was suffering from hypoglycemia and she went to a mental institution this is way before they knew anything about hypoglycemia so right i I can i can only imagine how can people like me help you to get your you know get your word out maybe able to help you with some funding how can how can we help you
2: you can people can help by buying the book reading the book passing it around to their friends talking about it because you know what somebody listening right now somebody listening right now knows somebody in the media because we have to get this word out because the word is being suppressed and we have to get it out and we need people to talk about it and we need people to get other people to talk about it um i need people to read the book and review it i need we need it to get out there so that people understand that it's even out there um and like i said if the uh, donating to the No Harm Foundation, we are a 501c3. It is a tax-deductible donation. Um, we are about to do a crowdfund because because of the book. There is now a, just a, a overwhelming demand for, like, an app, you know, that you can put on the phone so that people can use it in the grocery store. You know, we have all of these things that, you know, we're getting – no Harm Foundation is a small unpaid staff, and we're getting on so many emails, you know, and we're trying to answer them as quickly as possible, but there's not that many of us, you know. So we're just we're trying really, really hard to do everything we can. But if we can get the word out more, if we can get some more staff, if we can get some things like that going. But if you would consider donating to the No Harm Foundation, just understand that your money is not being poured into Black hole of research. Your money is going into something that has already been proven to work. And the No Harm Foundation works for families.
1: Yeah, get the book, guys. Uh, It's available on uh, Amazon. You can go and get the book there and read it. And, again, like I said, it's a really good read to just watch how these kids come in and watch the transformation. And it was real brilliant of you to to do these case studies, to to keep everything pretty detailed so you will know what exactly is going on because there's a lot of false research out there uh, going around right now. (laughs) Yeah. But I mm-hmm. thank you, Dr. Shauna, for being on. I kept you a little bit longer than what I expected, but I couldn't – your book has so much more that we didn't even discuss. I just feel like I skimmed <laughs> the book. I read the whole well, book. Well, good. Let's do another show then. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll have you back. What's next for you? Are you doing anything, another book or – yeah, name?
2: we're promoting promoting the book right now, real heavily. I've been I've been traveling a lot, and I'm doing a lot of lecturing. In fact, I've got some overseas things right now, um, some things like that going on. Um, so mostly I'm working with uh, the No Harm Foundation at this point. So we're trying very hard to get that going better so that we can better get these services to people that really want it. I want to create a practitioner network. I want to have so that you can go to the No Harm Foundation website and look up a doctor that's in your neighborhood, you know, and some, somebody that can help you do this and somebody that can help you keep an accountability towards it. So that's what I'm working on right now. I'm trying to make the No Harm Foundation the the Absolute best charity that anybody could possibly go to, and that they can get everything they need to help uh, anyone, uh, child or adult, that's on the autism spectrum.
1: Cool. Cool. And I'm going to do a plug for your enzymes. I absolutely love your enzyme, it's the only thing we really so use in my house. And I love them. I've been getting them for – I can never, like, not have them in the house now. So, uh, and <laughs> well, those I, are going nuts on, my on
2: Amazon, blog. so you're not the only one. Everybody loves those. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, and uh, I have them on my blog. If anybody wants to check that out, just go to the blog, and it's right there on the sidebar, and it takes you right over to Amazon to, to purchase that. So, Dr. Shawna, thank you so much for uh, being on. I really appreciate it. Really love the book. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Darren.
1: All right. Have a great night.
2: You too.
1: Good night. All right. Bye bye. All right. Powerful show tonight. For those of you out there who have uh children who have autism, this is something that you can try and all it is is a dietary change. And no more appointments, none of that stuff. You just do the dietary change changes. And it's actually free. You can go and download it for free and you'd be helping Doctor Shauna Young out, which um I think is is something we just need more truth. There's a lot of things out there that are false. We need a lot more truth and we need a lot more people uh talking about these types of things and how we can get the message out there a little bit more. So next week we'll have Dr. Janet Roseman on. She has a book called If Joan of Arc Had Cancer and we'll be talking to her next week. Should be a, a powerful show. A little bit of a different book. Um, she gives you some tips on Things to confront when you are diagnosed with uh, cancer and um, should be a great show. And then I'm waiting to schedule another show after that. I'm just waiting to hear back from uh, someone else with regards to um, being on the show for, I believe, the first week of August. But, again, powerful show tonight. I'll see you next week. Same fat time, same fat channel. Peace and love. Good night.